Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. All right, BGG gang, we are back in action after almost a month. Um, I've spent the past several weeks in France visiting producers in Minervois, Corbière, various parts of the Roussillon. It was an amazing time. I did not record any episodes while I was there, and I definitely didn't do any audio editing while I was over there. So apologies about that, but um, it was great to get the fuck out of Houston, out of Texas, out of the United States, and spend some time visiting producers and catching up with uh, old friends. It was it was a delightful time, and perhaps there is an episode in there that I will do in the next couple of weeks, but who knows? Who's to say? Today's episode, on the other hand, is a really fun one. I know most episodes veer towards wine. I've always seen this as more of a food and beverage podcast, and this one definitely leans into that food side of things. Otto Sanchez is the chef owner of Manuel Bakery, which in my opinion is one of the best, if not the best, pastry shop and bakery in the great state of Texas and perhaps the Southwest. Otto has worked in a variety of different establishments, including a stint in Dubai. So in this episode, he and I get into kind of what it means to be a pastry chef, what it means to open a business, and kind of the past, present, and future of pastry in Texas. Um... I'm really excited about this. I think his Canelay is probably the best Canelay I've had in the U.S., and he's just a fucking rock star. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. Quick note, we did record it in um, the kitchen of Manuel Bakery, so the acoustics aren't ideal, but the conversation itself is fucking dope. Uh, So get into it. Here we go. All right, so what I want to start with, yesterday was Mother's Day. Walk me through that because anyone that's worked in a restaurant knows that that is the most terrifying day of the year. That is like your D-Day. That's you storming the beach of Normandy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your service, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Uh, first of all, it was our first uh, Mother's Day because last year we weren't open for obvious reasons. And the year before we had opened two days after Mother's Day. So was that like part of the business plan? Like we are not going to be open for Mother's Day. We're going to open two days after Mother's Day. Well, it was, no, it was more like a, you know, we, they finished building and we had to, we had to be operating as soon as it opened because we had to start paying rent. We took two weeks of, of, of just training. We, we came here and we baked every single day, tried the rest. Wake and bake, baby. Right. Right. And so we, you know, we had, I would, I was calling everyone saying, who wants bread? It's free. Just come and take it. (laughs) <laughs> because we're just baking it and literally like throwing it away if we no one wants it because we have to do it again. So then just testing the ovens, testing the amount of steam that goes into the bread and all that. And so uh, we weren't really prepared for what happened to us. Yesterday. You know, we, we, we didn't have really a menu or anything that we had to offer as a special. We, I just I said, you know, we'll just make some kind of new tarts with like some raspberries and pistachios and... This lady asked me for a rhubarb tart, so I had to buy the whole case of rhubarb. Why you say yes to her? Just tell her no. No, you know, but because I hadn't cooked with rhubarb in, such, in so long, and, and so it was, I said, you know, that's kind of fun. So it kind of brought me back to my, you know, days in Vegas uh, when I worked at Ducasse, and and we used a lot of rhubarb during the summer. So I was like, you know, that's a great opportunity to just kind of do something, show the, the crew something different than we do normally. Do a lot just, of people spend Mother's Day in Vegas, though? No. No, so we, and, and see, that was in Vegas, Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, it was kind of, eh, you know, nothing really happened. It was when I worked in hotels, really, where it was just madness. When I worked at the Rich Carlton in, um, out in California, we had like 1,500 reservations for, 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 uh, for brunch. So we were, I don't know how many pieces of pastries we made, probably five, 6,000. Yeah. You base it on three to four per person. Uh, so that's, it's a huge amount. It's, it's an amount of pastries you've never seen. Like there's racks and racks of, and you know, and they have to be very detailed. They have to be very perfect. They have to be very different colors, different textures, different, because they're, the standards are so high for them. Yeah. And because they're also charging you a lot of money for, you know, it's $150 to go to brunch. I'm like per person. So was, I mean, how much do you love your mom? I mean, Right, right, right. That's what mom's saying. <laughs> there's no price in that. So, $200 brunch, like, yeah. there's got to be some, like, good caviar that goes no, with your No, there eggs. was. Like, there yeah, was. was you know, say. the chef that we had, he was great, great guy. And so he would have this, he was French. He would have this, like, cheese display, man. 
the table was like 20 feet long. There was like all kinds of cheeses Hell yeah. and honey and all this like different, uh, you know, fruits and nuts and jams and bread. And, and then he had a, a, he had a caviar with eggs and he had foie gras on the menu. Uh, just all these like cookie, small cooking stations. This past Sunday, right, for Mother's Day here, there weren't any real off the menu sort of things. It was kind of just like, we're going to do what we typically do, baguettes, croissants, right. things like that. And were people coming in like picking up a bunch of shit to go with the idea like we're going to do brunch at the house yeah. for mom, we're going to do like breakfast in bed for her or whatever. Like, is that kind of the vibe? Or yeah, was I think more? that's where the miscalculation came in our end because we figured... All right, restaurants are opening. We, we we start seeing more people that say, you know, I went out to eat here, and I went out to eat here. So we're like, people are going to go out to brunch. They're going to go out to Brennan's or wherever they go, right, for Mother's Day. And so we said, you know, we'll 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 do some a couple of tarts. But we posted something on Instagram, which is always a bad idea for us because every time we post something. That, whatever that's we kind post, of the whole point of Instagram right, is to, like, to get people to come. <laughs> and so we kind of go in the other direction. So I posted a few pictures of some tarts, and then it just went all downhill from there. Because people were calling over Instagram, calling, you know, coming here. So you're selling these tarts. We probably sold about... What sort of tarts are we talking about? Like, what did you post photos of? So we did, we did, we did a raspberry and, and pistachio tart. Yeah. And then we did a rhubarb strawberry tart. I thought and you did that just for that one chick. Well, we figured if we had a case of rhubarb, mm, okay. might as well make some extra ones, right? Which I still have some in the cooler, so I'll still make some this weekend. But also, you, that's how we introduce items to the menus. Like, we, people ask for something. And then we see the feasibility, and it's like, you know what? And we kind of run it. It's kind of yeah. like how our restaurants operate, right? You put a dish in the menu. Yeah, you, you are see, it. You see how it moves, yeah. and you're like, you know what? This may be good. They just kind of tweak it and put it on the menu. So that's what we do. A lot of people came, like a lot of French people came and said, yeah, we want a patty breast. We're like, you know what? It's, we, we, have a, we have an eclair. We have a religious. It's kind of like the same dough anyway. No, but we want a putty breast. It's a very classical French dish. Yeah, expand on what that is for listeners. So putty putty uh, breast is a it's a it's, it sort of looks like a donut, and it's made with the same dough as like eclairs. It's called putty breast because uh, it was named after the the leg of the Tour de France. It's between Paris and Brest, mm. so hence the name putty breast. So it is round with a, a circle in the middle, like a donut, and it's supposed to resemble a a bicycle tire. Mm. It's very French people like it a lot. This particular lady that has been coming here since day one said, I want one for my birthday. I said, would you make it? And I said, yeah, you know, you, we're like, you know, really good friends with these people because they bring their kids. We see them grow, growing up now. They're like talking and they talk to you because they've known you for, for two years now. So I said, you know, I'll make you one. You, you've always been really cool to us and you're a customer. We made it. And then the, some lady saw it and she said, well, I want one too. And I was like, you know what? All right. So sure. We make another one. And then so, I ran it on a Saturday, and it was just kind of crazy how. So we're talking a slightly like, larger. If we're six people, she wanted it. So, so maybe less a, of like a bicycle tire, yeah, and more it was of more like, like a penny like farther, exactly. like a big wheel, exactly. Wheel. Okay. And then so they said, "Well, let's just make it for the shop." And then so we left it there because people just continue to buy it. Like the strawberry rhubarb, probably something that we could do seasonally, because we see that people really like it, and we have been busy for the past so busy for the past few years that. We don't have a lot of time for R&D, and so this kind of forces us to, to do the R&D, right? It kind of like puts us in the position where, like, all right, I have to do it. Yeah. And, and, and you know you're, it's going to work because you've done this before, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of, you know, some things, are dumb, some things are popular with people and some things are not. It depends on your clientele. I figure it wasn't because a lot of people just... Don't Is there anything that people don't like here, though? Like, I don't know. Everything's pretty good, and it's a pretty streamlined menu. It's not yeah. like you have a pastry case with, like, 20 different things right. in it, right? I mean... No, it's, it's some, some items are more popular than others, and but some items are very... People just really like him because of the, the kind of different uh, twist that we put on it, like a financier, right? Because a financier is supposed to be just a cake that you just drink with, eat with coffee, right? Just a little... Supposed to be look yeah. like a little rectangular, little shape that you eat with your coffee. Every every country or culture has that, right? right. Like in Italy, it's the biscotti. Exactly. It's it's a condiment exactly. for your coffee beverage. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, we made it with hazelnut flour, and we put some uh, vanilla and lime, 
in white chocolate and just made it into more of a dessert rather than just a uh, just a little bite. And so people seem to really like that idea yeah. of us taking something that's very classical and applying something that's putting more ingredients in it that not it's not typical uh, in French, uh, but pastries, but uh, people really like it. And I think that's, you know, if you just make a financier, it's kind of boring, right? It's, after a while, you're just like, you're scooping something into something and you're baking it. But yeah. if you apply more technique to it, it gives us a chance to show our cooks something different. And then they can take that and turn it into something different down the road for their own, for their own gain. So back to this weekend, it was, it was just nuts. The, uh, the line was out to the street. And we were really kind of freaking out. We're like, shut the lines out to the street. I'm like, God. Oh, like before you opened, like yeah. there was already a line forming yeah. and it just like didn't get shorter. It never it got shorter. I, I think uh, I left for about an hour and I came back and probably half that size, but there were still, was still 20 deep. And yeah. we're like, we don't have enough. We don't have enough things for these people because we know that on a Sunday, croissants will go fast, especially on, on a weekend where... We thought it was going to be kind of a little busier than normal, but it turned out to be 10 times busier than So, like, had. how quickly did you sell out of croissants? By 10.30, we were done. 10.30. Yeah. And for reference, you open on Sundays at what time? At 8. At 8. You thought you had enough croissants to get you through, what, 2 in the afternoon? Maybe two, 1. We close at 1. 1 on Normally, Sundays. by noon, you have, like, a couple of them. And then you have some baguettes, you have some bread, you have some pastries. People are like, oh, I don't have any baguettes. Okay, but I'll take this. Yeah. We, we really were, like, wiped out. A lot of people get very frustrated, but I said, listen, it's not that we don't want to make it. It's just yeah. that people, I mean, people walk in here at eight o'clock in the morning and then you see them walking out with like four boxes of croissants. They'd be like, I want 18 and 18. I'm like, but at the same time, we're like, dude, come on, leave some for the, for the next customer. And because, you know, they want to have their breakfast and like, you know, my family's over and I'm having 10 people over and, and that's cool, you know? So it's like, we're happy that people are having these gatherings now so they're get very excited about uh, buying a lot of people some guy walked in by 18 epis and i'm like 18 what are you gonna do with 18 epi baguettes hey i'm like what do you, exactly yeah. so they're like we'll have a party and you know have a lot of cheese and we have soup and so you know it kind of goes with the soup goes with the cheese and goes with the butter so it's like we need a lot of bread and so we're like it's cool but it's not because you're really kind of depleting the the entire day for because we only have enough dough you know like it's not something you do you can just do and you know right at, at that second right it's it's done before the day before so that's all you have and yeah. it's, it's so for us it's very frustrating because we know that people stand in line and they want to they want their croissant and they come in here and they're like there's no croissants what do you mean i'll be here for like half an hour standing and I'm, like, I'm so sorry man i'm just yeah the kalamata olive loaf if you're looking for a chocolate croissant is not going to scratch that itch <laughs> yeah you know? no like, yeah. no that's not gonna do it yeah but not, nothing not can really nothing can really uh make up for that but um you had a long and illustrious career working in pastry in vegas outside the united states in in dubai, dubai. And I got to imagine, like, what does pastry chefing like in, in a place like Dubai? Like, amazing. The only word I can, I can use to describe that was kind of a dream, right? You, 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 in your ideal world as a chef, you know, you want to have a ginormous team of people that if you want to make a chocolate sculpture, you should have like a chocolate artist. And if you want like a, a team that makes nothing but bread and, and, and croissants, you have like your entire team. And then if you want to make desserts, you have a, for the restaurants, you have a team. And then, so that's exactly how it was. We had 45 people working in the pastry. 45 people for a hotel that had 200 rooms. And we had 300 people in the entire kitchen for a hotel that had 300 rooms. So the average per person was, I think, 10 employees per, per room. That's insane. 20 employees, no, 10 employees for, there were a thousand employees for 2,000 rooms. It, it's crazy. You can literally walk in and say, tomorrow I want to eat um, this bread that my grandmother used to make uh, when I grew up in Slovakia. And here are the recipes that my And then we literally would take that book and give it to the baker and said, you have to make this for Mr. Whatever for tomorrow because... That sounds like the biggest the pain in the ass. It is. It is. That, that, that it sounds is. The, so, like the worst. But it was... It was I, you know, and I've worked at many places and all five star, whatever you would call it, five star, five star, five diamond hotels and Michelin star restaurants. 
And we, we, everyone always says, we never say no, we never say no. At this place, really, there was no no. Like, no was not a word in your vocabulary at the virtual Arab. Like, if you wanted to eat whatever you wanted to eat. But I mean, there's also the expectation that you go to a restaurant to get their, like, take on something. Right. Or you're going for that chef's interpretation right. of this. Like, their version of whatever. Right. And you're not getting that if you're just handing them a recipe and saying, well, I want to eat this tonight. Make this for me. Well, yeah, that was sort of the room's part of the operation. We had, we had five restaurants. Mm-hmm. We had one really, truly fine dining restaurant. And then we had the restaurant that sits at the top of the building, right? So, mm-hmm. which was, you oversee the Gulf, the Arab Gulf, and it's just the Palm, the Palm, you know, Jumeirah, they call it. And just beautiful, right? So that was kind of like a more of a show-off kind of restaurant. It was good, it was great, but it wasn't as, as great as the one that we had downstairs, which was like a super fine dining, like mission star sort of Thai style restaurant where, you know. What were the sorts of pastries you were making? Was it all like very much focused in French tradition? Yeah, or for the most was it part. Like, okay. For the most part, but we did have a lot of, uh, we did have a lot of Indian weddings and we had a lot of people from Asia, believe it or not. We did a lot of uh, Asian desserts. We did a lot of... Uh, Which Arab- typically don't contain a whole lot of dairy, right? No. It's, yeah. It was, you know, I forgot the name. We make, we make these like Indonesian ones that are like this like yellow, like matcha crepes with like this coconut, like dry coconut and, and a little coconut milk and then palm sugar. And they make this kind of egg rolls. They're sweet, but they're not. And, and many other dishes of that sort of style uh, mm-hmm. that were Asian that we would do for these parties. But it was mostly French. We did some like British things because we had a lot of British clientele. Um, Figgy pudding. Yeah, and then what's the other one that I really loved that I really want to make here? Uh, hopefully, I can do it this year. Is the um, minced meat pie? Minced meat pie. We put these like I, I don't know how many ingredients, but just dried fruit, nuts, and a bunch of brandy, and we macerated for three months. And then you make this dough, and it's made with suet, which is uh, cow fat. Like mm-hmm. cattle fat. Yeah. And then you make this really dough and then, and then, and it's like a, it's a pie, right? It's a, a pie, a pie shell. But dude, the, the flavor of the like months and months of macerated, uh, you know, fruit and, and, and nuts and the dough was a really light, it was like a, it's, it, it's like a really true, very good pie, pie dough, right? It's really flaky, really buttery, really, and not, that's you know I'm at the first restaurant where I worked. They were like, no, we're not doing that. It's, just <laughs> it's British, you know. We don't do that. But yeah, people love to shit on British cuisine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, but I, I've 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 had some things that you know, and I think it's all about exposure, right? Like it, I never liked dates before I moved to the Middle East because you always have this like visual dates here, and they're like really tough, Real, yeah. And then you wrap them in bacon and whatever, and it's, it's good. Yeah, they're normally a vessel for, for bacon. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, you walk down the street in Dubai, there's, there's, there's trees everywhere. It's like there's like just trees here. There's like just lines of palm like, uh, date trees on the street. Yeah. And they go as low as like six feet off the ground. So five feet off the ground. You just, so pick, you them off, you yeah. just pick them off. People just build these like nets around them so they can catch them when they fall. But you, you just walk around, you eat like fresh dates. And I had this very good friend of mine who was a, a, on Fridays, he would go to the mosque. He was Muslim. And then on the way back, he would say, Chef, I picked, I picked up some dates for you. And there so he would bring in these like really warm dates because they were, you know, out in the sun. Yeah. And they, I mean, it's just like honey, man. It's like. Would you like to cook with those? Like, you know, we, we made a very good, like, what was the tea that we used? Darjeeling tea. And dates, we made like a jam. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Oh yeah. And I wish I, you know, was something I want to do at some point here because I think like dates get a bad rap, and I, I think that when you have the right dates, when you know what to do with them, it can be a very not only just yeah, but it's hard to recreate that oil. experience of having a friend pick right. it up for you, right? Yeah, and like yeah, yeah, no, fresh yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. So. But that being said, there's a great uh, store here in Houston that carries dates. Shout out Phoenicia, right? It's called Batil. Batil. It's actually in Dubai. And and so they sell all Mm. kinds of dates. And I'm actually picking up some this week for uh, today for uh, for a friend of mine who's a Muslim, who's who's, uh, actually two people that I know, uh, one here in the shop. 
that they're celebrating Eid on Thursday, so they mm-hmm. end the Ramadan. So I want to give them a really nice box of dates because I, I'm, I have friends that live in Dubai or like going to stop here in the U.S. and I tell them, buy me a pound of, of <laughs> dates from, from this place called Batil. And they have these dates which they don't have here in this, uh, this store here in the U.S. But they're the ones who they, they shake uh, of, of Dubai weed when we came to the Verge. Oh, really? uh, because he owned the hotel, right? We, I practically worked for the government in Dubai. So he would come like once Would he month. like dab you up? Would he like, like be like, make sure that the uh, croissants were all good today? Man, like what was... Dude, that was like a trip. Yeah. Because when he said, they would call like 20 minutes before and they would say, uh, uh, Sheikh Mo, we call him Sheikh Mo, Sheikh Mohammed. Sheikh Mo is going to come in like 30 minutes. So the entire hotel freaks out. We had this like, we would block the elevators, right? Really? Was, yeah. It was crazy, man. We had this like rats already prepared at any second to go up. At any second, right? This like big plate with like gold rims and like this ginormous amount of dates we had them wrapped in the freezer. And then when he came, we just pulled them up because you're supposed to eat them frozen. Really? Because the, 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 content, the sugar content is so high that mm. they never really freeze. They stick like ice cream. It's almost like a sorbet. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Awesome. This guy would show up and the entire kitchen would freak out. Like the, the Arabic side of the kitchen We'd start cooking that lamb and the Uzi lamb and, and all the salads and then we'd put it on these racks and then you, you, you know, you lock the elevator so you get your, all your stuff in the elevator. You go, just go up really fast because it would go up to the top and then sit on this like particular table where no one could sit at any time. That was that, like, that area was permanently walled off for him yes. in case he ever yes. showed up. Yes. And most of the times it was false alarm. He never showed up. He said, ah, false alarm. He decided to go next door. That's so funny. Because the next hotel was also his. <laughs> no, uh, that was Where am I the, yeah, right. So that was kind of cool. The uh, seeing that type of that service, like the, I mean, even your most VIP guest in Vegas, it's not that that level of wealth no. that you get. No, dealing with shapes, it, it really isn't. You have people just come in and spend obscene amounts of money, right? I mean, the the cost of a room for the, uh, what we call the low season was about $2,000 a night. That's insane. $2,000 a night yeah. during the low season. And what yeah. about like top room? I think it was about, season? it was like fifteen to 20,000 dirhams for a normal room. That's about $4,000 roughly. For a normal and then we room. had the, like the Royal, the Royal Suite was about, I think 70,000, which is about $20,000 a day. That's insane. And then you had guys living there for years. It must which be nice. It's crazy, right? And there, but our mother's stay there was really incredible too. Yeah. We had this guy on our team who was an ice uh, artist. We called him ice artist. Mm-hmm. So every Sunday he would carve uh, all these like displays for the sushi, for all the cold dishes in the garmage. You wouldn't just eat the sushi off of like a naked body? Oh, no. Like, no it's right, not, yeah. yeah. There's, there's none of that in Dubai. No? Uh, yeah, there is. Well, it, that's the well, only Dubai other side. It's also one of those places, right, where you can't have alcohol, right? Oh. I mean, legally speaking, yeah. right? Well, it's, yeah, that's, you can you do have liquor stores. Uh, they just like, it, it looks like a, just a store with a door and the, 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 the windows are like blacked out and there's no sign. You just mm-hmm. know it. It's there. And then you have to have a license to buy. And mm-hmm. in order for you to have a license, you have to be a Westerner. <laughs> it's like a medical marijuana card, but for alcohol. Yeah. Something and like so that. actually the hotel had to give you permission to have a, a, a license to buy alcohol. You couldn't go, there are no alcohol in the stores ever, anywhere. And uh, if you went to, and all the bars in, are inside hotels, 99% of them. Uh, so then you have to go through a hotel to, to buy your alcohol. So would you have like a sommelier? Was there a wine director? There was a wine director. There was a wine director. They were actually all like French, what do they call this? Cliffs, though, which had like a like golden keys for service. Mm-hmm. We have all these guys that work in restaurants there. It was incredible because most of the people that work in management were all people from like either France, Italy, and Germany, mm-hmm. uh, in England. They were mostly Europeans. The chefs were all French. The managers were all like Italians. Some alias were either French or Italians or even some British. So that's how much how it was comprised of like most mostly Westerners for like the the, the top jobs, you know. Uh, but no, there were sommeliers, and there were good wines. At the store, you, wine was okay. I mean, they weren't expensive per se. 
normal prices because the tax was 35%, I think. It was really yeah. high because it's alcohol and it's a Muslim country. But, um, but you can still buy alcohol. And so we didn't buy much alcohol. It wasn't, we kind of quit. Uh, we, we, we moved to Dubai from San Francisco where we used to have a lot of dinners and wine and stuff. And then we mm-hmm. went to like kind of cold turkey. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what was the biggest culture shock for you moving to a place like that? You know, because literally there's so many different things. Like, everything. Everything is different, yeah. Yeah. You know, the good parts was uh, just being in a place where you have no idea what's going on, right? Completely, you're starting from zero, right? I'll never forget some of my wife until the end, until the day I die. I'll never forget waking up the day after. We got there, like, at 1 o'clock in the morning, and we went right to sleep. And we got up like at five thirty, I think, in the uh, the call to prayer woke us up, and so it was quiet. You couldn't hear anything, right? And all you hear is this like dude like reciting the Quran, and it was the most the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? You, you're like, wow, I'm, I feel like I'm watching like a movie, right? Like, yeah, you know, like you know, you see the stars of the movies and you see the people like singing and yeah. when when we portray the the Arab world and so it was kind of like that it was it was shocking I, I, when I said well did you hear that he's like yeah that's the, the call to prayer and then so you could hear you hear that all day right you yeah hear that all day five times a day right yeah and so on Fridays even more but it was it was kind of like really cool and like you didn't know where to go buy things you didn't know where to get bacon you know where to get anything because yeah. there was none of that at the store you would have to go to this like very particular stores like there's a uh, supermarket called Carrefour, which is from yeah, France. Carrefour, Carrefour, yeah. yeah. And they had a, a port section inside <laughs> it, and it was this little tiny room, and you would go in there, and then you would see all these like products that have pig, yeah. And you're like, holy shit, I didn't know this had pig, like all these like like Cheetos or Jello, yeah, or, like you know, anything with like gelatin any, or something, anything that had any any form of pig, yeah, was banned in this room. But then you could buy this amazing. Uh, like bacons and like sausages from England. Right? Oh, right, because you've got all of these like English people Prosciutto. that are there. Yeah, you could buy caviar uh, like literally on the store. You could buy little cans of foie gras. Yeah, it was the most the coolest thing because you could buy all that. It's like yeah, that's how it is in France. I'm like no, well, I never you know I never knew that. So you could go to the store and buy caviar and buy foie gras and buy a pound of prosciutto for it was really cheap because it was, it was just. A, such a limited number of people were buying these. Yeah, but also because the the, uh, the proximity of France, I think, is about five hours, five to six hours flight from mm-hmm. Dubai. So we would get all our products from France, like all the cream or the milk, the flour, the butter. Everything would come from France. Every single thing would come from France. The fruit would come from. Ironically, the the little garnishes for the place would come from Chef's Garden here in the U.S. Really, they would fly them overnight. It's amazing. You've worked in so many different markets now. Do you find that technique is one thing, but then adapting to different climactic conditions and adapting to the ingredients that you have access to, like, do those present a lot of problems as a baker? Yeah. You know, it, 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 people think that it's, I give you a recipe and it's like, it's like magic, right? And then you can just take that and duplicate it somewhere else. And then like, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, Cause all the recipes that I've gotten from all the chefs that I've worked in or friends, they work. For that time, for that period of time where you were, but then they all, we always say to people, we always tell our friends, you know, and say, do you have a recipe for this? Sure. Like, you know, but, but just make sure that you watch your hydration or you, you look at this because of your altitude, you're out on the coast, you're inland. And so that has, that plays into everything that we do. All the recipes that I've had, I have to tweak for, for Houston because it's so humid. It's so unpredictable, the weather. Uh, you know, we have a humidity thing, a, wa- a clock in the kitchen that sees the humidity, measures it because we want to know at all times where the humidity is outside. Because that was going to tell us whether we should bake croissants earlier and then afterwards more or all at one time. Because if it's really dry, it's great. They stay fresh all day, crunchy. But if it's 100% humid in August, I don't care how fresh you bake them, half an hour later, they're going to be mush because that's just, it's just, it is that's what it is right yeah. it's humidity in Dubai was very tricky because even though it's a desert right it's in a gulf so it's a, it's 100% humidity ugh it sounds it's humidity. worse than here 
someone could probably do the math on it, but is it because it's so hot that water's evaporating from yeah. that body of water more quickly yeah. and as a result, like just... Just creates yeah. a steam bath. So it well, is. It's, it's, I mean, you can you don't walk need to go to the sauna. You, you, you can, can just walk, walk from you, you can walk 20 feet to your car and you'll be drenched in sweat. So would you, would you dress in your chef coat like when you got to work? Was there yes. like an employee I shower? Wore, or? I was wearing shorts and sandals to work. And so I lived across the street from the Birch, uh, from the hotel. They would take, I would take this little bus and it, it was like literally like a two minute drive. And then they bring you right to the door and you just come out and go right into the hotel where, where's the AC? Everything is AC, you know, and that no one lives out, outdoors except in the winter, like the last three months, November, December, January, where it's like 70 degrees, which is considered a winter there. That's wild. Uh, but the rest of the year, it's, it's, it's pretty miserable. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty miserable. Did you come to Houston to open Manuel? Well, or? you know, we came back because we had sort of a family medical emergency. So, we hadn't, we wanted to, I wanted to work in Asia, right? Why'd you uh, want to work in my, Asia? I, I don't know. I've always had this like desire to live in Asia. And so, and I love Asian food. So when I was in California, I, I was talking to my ex, the, you know, the chef, the executive chef in the kitchen. And I was telling him, you know, I'd I like to work abroad. It's kind of one, one of my things I want to check off my bucket list. I said, I'd like to live in Vietnam or like one of those small countries, Laos or, or Singapore. And he said, I, I will tell you that you'll never get a job there coming from the U.S. Because um, Asian uh, properties don't hire chefs. They don't have previous international experience. So I said, what I would do is this. I would probably move to either the Middle East or South America or somewhere like that and, and get a couple of years in, get your kind of feet wet, in that market, international. And then after that, you look into it moving to Asia. That's what we did. We moved right at almost at the two-year mark, moved back to the U.S. But our intention was to go back out as soon as that emergency was over. And then so, but then that didn't happen. Then some other things happened, which forced us to kind of stay put. Life got in the way. Yeah, life got in the way. And which, you know, ironically, it's exactly what happened. What he said that would happen, happened, right? Because he said, you know, you have, you have a very enviable resume, right? You have worked from really small, tiny, bad kitchens to like the highest of the highest of the highest of the kitchen world. And you've worked at really nice, big, giant, five-star, five-diamond hotels. And you've worked at like small, certified platinum lit small hotels and like in Yonville. So you, you're, you're, your resume is like covers almost every spectrum of the field that we're in. I said, so I, I see no problem with you adding international experience to your resume. And then the sky's the limit. And sure enough, that happened. So we moved back to Dubai and I kept getting this like Peninsula Hotel in Hong Kong saying, you know, we've received your resume from, from a friend of ours and would like for you to, you know, come and interview for this job. And I'm like seeing at home, like cursing myself saying, fuck man. This is the, what I was waiting for. This is yeah. what I worked for. But at the same time, you're like, you know, family is more important. That's we, a tough call. We to have make, to though. be here. You know? I mean, so, you know, so it was kind of rough for about five seconds. And then I'm like, that's cool, man. It's, 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 it feels great to know that people want you to apply for these jobs and, 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 and open, it opens other doors for you. And I said, but you, to my wife, uh, our family is more important. Family is more important. So. We're going to stay here and we're going to do what we have to do for, for, for the better of, of our family. And, and so, you know, it's something that we never second guessed. And it turned out to be a great decision. So then I said, you know, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to open a bakery because I, I don't think I can go back to working for someone after all these that I've done. Right. Because fortunately in, in the, in the Houston market, patients have not valued the way they are in other cities, right? In San Francisco or in, in, in Vegas. Why do you think that is? I, there just isn't enough emphasis on the last course. A lot of, a lot of us think that, yeah, you just throw some cookies with ice cream and then that's that dessert and people will eat that. And then so we say, yeah, that's good. We'll eat that and that's good enough. So we, you know, so we kind of got rid of, of that position altogether, I think, in a lot of restaurants. Is that because, like, portions are just bigger in Texas? Like, the no, entrees are, I, like... I think like it's also are... because having a pastry chef is a luxury. 
mm-hmm. you know, in a way. It's costs that we can cut. You know, as you know, you, you're in this business, you know, margins are very thin in the restaurant business. So, you know, that's more salary than you are adding to your... Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But, so, and, and, but that being said, the tide is changing, you know? It's changed a lot here in Houston in the last... Since I've been back for five or six years... So you're starting to see now, actually, people kind of returning to that. You know, there should be a pastry chef. You yeah. should have more composed dishes. Mm-hmm. There should be a little more thought put into what you do, what you you know, because we always sort of, the argument is like, you know, you can have a really bad meal, but if you end on a very good note, it, it could it could help your cause. Saves right? the whole experience. Right, right? it could, yeah. potentially. So, uh, I mean, you know, but I understand the financial reasons of why people do it. I, I you know, I talked to someone here and I said, listen, I want you to, he's like, I want you to be my pastry chef. And I said, listen, I, yeah, but it's not cheap. I'm not, you know, I'm not a cheap pastry chef. I'm not cheap, it's, sweetie. I'm right? Not. It's like, I, you know, here, here's, look at my resume. Look at where I work. Yeah. Look what I can do, right? What yeah. I can do for your restaurant. I said, yeah, just right off the bat, right? Like, it's not going to be cheap. If you want to move forward, we can talk about it. But this, I'm telling you up front, I'm not taking $40,000 salary, right? That's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. What does he do? He offered me 45. And I even didn't even respond. I said, you know, I just, yeah, it's not even worth talking yeah. about this. But then I found these people at Latab and, you know, they, they, the guy who ran the operations around the concept came from, from Robuchon, you know, from Las Vegas. He knew, he, he knew, he's on my resume. He's like, okay, this guy is, is legit. He's like, comes from the same places that, we all come from. So he brought me in and he's like, just threw a bunch of money at me and said, you know, you are. You gave know. you the opportunity to do the kind of program you want. He said, he said, to me, I'd like yeah. to do something like what we do in Vegas. And I said, well, that's hard because the, the, the pool, the talent pool is, is very shallow here. And we had a rope show like half, 75% of the staff is French. They all came from France. They all trained at like Pierre May and Fauchon and, all these very famous restaurants in Paris, yeah. uh, pastry shops, right? So these are Pierre May. Shout out Pierre May, <laughs> my favorite shop for macarons. He does the vanilla olive oil macaron. Yeah. I think he has a ketchup one that's yeah. like pretty wild. I mean, he's got very like classic think, flavors yeah. as well. But uh, the olive oil one is my is my fave for sure. He's a cool dude. Good shop. Wait, I had a I had a friend of mine who worked with us in in Vegas. Me and Matt, and uh, he uh, he had worked. He came from Pierre May. Oh, wow. And he was extremely, he's cool. He's now in China. He lives in China. Really cool guy. When he went back to Paris, he went, I said, I went to see uh, Chef Pierre. And he's like, he gave me a book. He, he signed it for me. And he's like, I got you a book signed by Pierre, man. You know, because I went to talk to him. I said, I have this friend of mine who really likes making macaroons. And he really likes, looks up to your techniques and stuff. It's like, so he wrote these really nice things on the book. And, and yeah. he gave it to me. No uh, one's made you guys make them here? What's that? They're, you know, ironically, we haven't. Yeah? Uh, because to me, it's such a... I'm not going to do that unless I know I can do it in a way that I want to. And so far, we haven't really found the balance, mostly because we don't have enough staff that we could... I know that that's opening a Pandora's box and I'm going to be able to handle. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just wait for the right time to do that because once I start, there's no stopping, Right. But then I get you're, crazy because then like I start creating this like I already have this like I want an olive I want a calamari and rosemary olive macaroon. Ooh, that sounds know? good. So you know I want something kind of like with a Texas twist. So then I I got it all in my hair already. But I'm like, but then I have to write. I have to. It's how to well, have you're already doing the cannelay, which there's no one else in the city that that's really executing cannelays the way you are. That's partly because we we have this copper mold, right? So cannelays are great bake in like. Flexipan like silicone molds, but nothing is going to ever going to replace a copper mold for a kind of lace. So, you know, the caramelization is not the same. They're expensive, but they're worth every penny. I mean, you buy six kind of lace molds, it's $180. Cannelays for listeners out there, right? The key to a perfect cannelay, right, is that like very like almost burnt exterior yeah. and that really custardy interior. Yeah. And that's where I imagine the copper mold really right. makes the difference. Right. right. Because it, you know, it transfers heat evenly. And, yeah. but also it gets, when it gets hot, it gets really hot. And so, you know, uh, traditionally our kind of are baked at a very high temperature to begin with for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you lower it really low. Right? You, like you start at like 420 degrees 
and then you drop it to, to like 350 or 340, right? Mm -hmm. And then you cook it the rest of the way there. So you kind of sear it and then you cook slow. We yeah. actually cook it at a very low temperature the whole time. And we found that it, it gives us the same caramelization. Hmm. And, and it's less work because we don't have to go and change the oven. Yeah. And then we can just put it in the oven, set the timer, and then walk away and then come back and take them out. But there, nothing can replace that, you know. Uh, and so I suppose, oh, it's $4 for that. I think it's like, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's extremely expensive. It has a ton of rum, a ton of vanilla, a ton of eggs, all the things that you don't want to put. Well, not like vanilla extract even, like right, vanilla bean, like straight yeah. up, like straight from the pot. Yeah. No, and it's like, you know, we put the beans in there. We, it's a three-day process. Right, so you, bean seed. The, you make it today, we use it on Wednesday. Yeah. It's just for 48 hours before we use it. So that's what people say, like, I want 12 canales today. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to, you know, and you have to explain to them why is that. It's like, well, you know, the eggs have to sit for so long before they don't explode on you because that's what, that's what happens, right? It's <laughs> the science of it. Well, what's, what's funny here is we've spent a lot of time talking about like pastries, whether it's the peri breast or the canale, right? These other things. But then the other thing that you're known for here at the bakery is the bread that you make. I right. mean, and I think when you first envisioned Manuel Bakery, it was a bread facility that serviced a lot of wholesale accounts. First. Right. But it's clear that like there's been a movement towards more direct-to-consumer and more pastries than maybe what was initially envisioned. How'd that evolution right. kind of go? Well, you know, we, we, because of our background, we always knew that uh, the retail venue was more of a, the way to go for us. And, and so when I first started conceptualizing this, uh, first of all, I talked to a, a lot of my friends that are chefs here in Houston, and I was saying, you know, what do you think that the market would need? It's like bread. We need bread. We need good bread. Like just, you know, we have many bread providers, but they're just not what we're looking for. And when I said that, I'm not, they're not, they were not speaking necessarily for the entire market of restaurants, but for a certain market part of, of, of the restaurants that sort of carry, you know, cater to the people that are a little more traveled, have a little more knowledge about what French bread is supposed to be, how it's supposed to be cooked, how it's supposed to be eaten. I said, okay, well, so we'll do a wholesale bakery. And that's how he started. Like, it's okay, we'll do a wholesale bakery and then we'll, we'll see, we'll grow eventually into making more stuff, croissants and pastries and stuff. And, but we always knew that in the end, but also for financial reasons, you know, since we were self-funded, I said, you know, I don't have the way that we build pastry shops and where I come from, it takes a ton of money because you have to buy all these expensive things and you have to want everything to be perfect. Those copper molds ain't cheap. Right, you just right. Say, yeah. hey, ovens are not cheap and... Nothing is cheap about what we do, right? Uh, I said, you know, you need like a million bucks, two million bucks to open a pastry shop. And I said, I don't have that kind of money. Why don't we just start doing this? And it still ended up costing way more than I thought. But at least you say, you know, you're not going to pay $20,000 in rent a month. And we're able to get a bigger space uh, for less money. And that's not, it's not a very desirable part of town. But I said, but we're doing wholesale. It doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. You just need a, a box and you make bread and you deliver it. And, but then soon after, like the week after, people started coming, knocking on the door, saying, I want to buy a baguette. And, and sure, I mean, you can buy a baguette, you know, we, we would take cash on it because we were like, didn't have any POS system or anything. We got a little square, one of the things that you plug to your phone, and then we started charging people on our phones. And then after that, we moved into buying an actual POS system because we saw that people started coming in to buy more. So the retail part of the operation became very clear, very fast to us, to where we shifted almost as soon as we opened, we shifted into retail mode because we knew that was, that was what's going to be what was going to make it successful, right? And so, mm -hmm. and so that's how it, it kind of just went downhill from there, where we went from bread to pastries to croissants in like the span of a month because uh, that's what people wanted. And that's so that we, we, if anything, we've been very keen to like listening to what they want and, you know, we see the feasibility and we're like, you know what, if they, that's what they want, then, and then people have responded. So that's yeah. why I'm a very cautious sort of person in that regard where I only take a step if I know that I'm sort of on safe ground, right? Yeah. And so then with the coffee program, it was the same thing. People were like, we well, should have coffee. And we're like, yeah, but you know, that's not a, we need a lot more space. You need a machine. You need a drain line that we don't have, you need another yeah. sink. 
And so then when it became feasible, we said, you know, all right, we're going to expand this little space that we have. Now we can add a machine. Yeah. And so as soon as I picked up the phone and called Abby Katz, he's like, uh, yeah, when do you want the machine? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, hold on. I'm not, I'm not that ready today, but yeah. he's like, when you need it, just let me know. And he's he's a good salesman. He's like, yeah, let's he, make you this know, And yeah. so, I'm a shout out to Abby Katz, right? I've known Abby since he started Cat's Coffee. Abby has been a great, great support for me in terms of like... You Doesn't know, he have a shop over here on North... It's on Carback. Yeah, It's yeah. right on where Carback Brewery is, like on the other side of the oh, okay. street. Cool, cool, cool. And Cool Cat. So you gradually pivoted towards doing more pastry stuff. Now you have like a chocolate chip cookie, which I feel like is like the most mainstream pastry out there, right? Like, I don't know what makes the chocolate chip cookie here like unique or different. I, I don't know if, if, if people have posted things like, you know, this cookie is as good as this other cookie. And I'm like, well, it's just a cookie, right? But then I was talking to someone the other day. I mean, day why'd you guys said, decide even to put a chocolate chip because cookie Because we on have menu? a lot of kids and they would ask for chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> yeah, little kids, they don't give a fuck you about know? hairy breasts. They're yeah, just like, so nah, they're like... This. So I had this recipe, and uh, uh, so I was like, all right, let's make this recipe. And then we add this little, uh, little Varona, little pearls. We don't add chips. So uh, it's a chocolate it's actually, pearl cookie. Yeah, so it, you know, it's a really high-end chocolate. It's very expensive. It's the, kind of the, it's the most expensive chocolate. Being wasted on children who, like, really don't give a shit. They'd be like, right. put Hershey's in it. You know? Right, but in, in a way, you know, I'm trying to please you, but I'm also going to give you something that I think it's good. Yeah, uh, and so people really like it. We sell a lot of them, but you know, we I, we call ourselves. And that was kind of like at the beginning, we're like like in all French baking. It was like I don't want to kind of pigeonhole myself to that French tag, right? Because although ninety nine percent of what we do is French, there's other things that I can do, right? That I don't want to just say, "Well, you're not supposed to be making this. This is not French." It's like, well, you know, it's a bakery, right? We some we make shabbatas. I've made tiramisu. Which is ironically Matt's favorite dessert in the world. Tiramisu is like, you're French. You want to be like tiramisu more than your own. But um, I want to make scones. I love scones. I want to make scones. I have this recipe for like these like porcini and like mushroom like scones. Like that sounds scones. good. Amazing. So you grew up for part of your life in San Salvador, right? Yep. yep. Are there any like very like... Uh, like traditional pastries or breakfast things that you would want to incorporate from that part of your life into your space here? Yes and no. The only thing that I ate as a kid was this cookie that was made with from rice flour. And that's kind of like the closest thing I'm going to get to make a gluten-free item for for this bakery. Because I always tell people, you know, we can have gluten-free items because that's, to me, that's a very serious issue in terms of, if you just eat, don't eat gluten because you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a health choice, that's cool. But if you're actually celiac, it, it could be very damaging if we... If we and there's so it. much potential for cross-contamination, and there right? Is, like, yeah. And I told there's flour everywhere here. In my computer in the office, is closed. And then I come in and I just go on the, on the you know, screen and it's like full of flour. So I always think about that. I said, you know, I'd love to tap into that at some point. But we'll, I would have to create an entire different bakery just for that. Only because I don't, I don't want to risk harming someone. Yeah, but that, you know, a lot of the breads that we, I ate as a kid, I saw the same anyway. It's like you have your little tiny French bread in the morning, and we have this bread, this bread called pan de yemas, which is like a... Egg yolky. Like right. an egg yolky. It's more of a brioche bread. It's all it mm-hmm. is. So then I go back, we have milojas, which is a milfoy, which is, it's, it's the same, it's yeah. exactly what it means. Why milojas and milfoy means a thousand leaves. Mm-hmm. Right, so we do have that too. Yeah, and so I'm. So it's kind of like because we were colonized with the Europeans. A lot of the pastries are, Europe. They're made with like more cheaper ingredients, right? Because we don't have extremely great flowers down there. We don't grow a lot of wheat, but a lot of the, a lot of the, the sort of the breads are the same in a way. Mm-hmm. So I, I do I know I, I don't, but I don't know how to. How can I even make a bolillo? You know. People ask me, can you make bolillos? I'm like, I can't. I really, for the life of me. <laughs> I've trained French for like 20 years. Oh, I cannot make a bolillo, which is the most simple. It's like yeast, water, and, and flour, right? I just can't make good bolillo. So I'm like, you know what? All the better because I don't know if you'd be able to charge as much for a bolillo yeah. as you could yeah. for some of these other So things. I was talking to a friend of mine, and, uh, um, and he was saying, you know, 
uh, we want to make like a concha, but you know, we have a very fancy place, and, but we will sell for like four bucks. And we're like, I'm like, I'm not going to sell a concha for four bucks. You can't do that. That's like, I don't care where you are. A concha is not four dollars because yeah. you can go to Bolivia and get it for a dollar, and yeah. it's just as good. So there are things that just don't translate to the to the um, to the upper echelon of restaurants. Uh, uh, but no, I don't. I, I mean, um, my grandmother used to make this like really like awesome. Uh, he would take a pineapple and just put like brown sugar and just caramelize it forever, mm-hmm. and it was a really jammy, like really good pineapple, you know. Uh, and she would make empanadas with it. Oh, yeah. Really nice dough. But now that I grew up, it's like, what's a padrisse? What we call in French a padrisse, which is like a very crunchy sugar dough, right? So it's made good for empanadas and good for, it's like, it's exactly what that was. Now I just kind of make the jam with the yeah. pineapple, right? Yeah. But that I kind of like, but I sort of see the resemblance of, on, of, of the two. It's just, a, you know, French pages are more, are better because they're better executed, they're better technique, or, um, you know, better ingredients for it. So I don't necessarily see a, um, I, I don't know, you know, I, maybe I'll have a Salvadoran bread menu like a year from now. You never know, right? You never know. Uh, so well, I what's, the say, next thing to, what's the next thing to come onto the menu? What are you thinking? Yeah, um, besides us trying to make macaroons, we want to really... Um, play with our vinerasserie game, you know, trying to make, we made this like raspberry and pistachio croissants the first year we were open. And only because we have not, we had nothing else to do. We literally have like three customers. We had like cultivare and that like, you had like, three wholesale customers. Yeah. Right it was, yeah. it was, we actually would cook the bread and we deliver in the afternoon because no one would open for lunch. Mm-hmm. So we actually, we go deliver the bread. We go to cultivare and then we go to, uh, light years, that wine bar, that Montrose. Yeah. And then right on West Alabama, we go right up to, um, to West Alabama Ice Hubs and just sit there and drink beer every day because we had nothing else to do. So then yeah. me and Matt are sitting around, we should make some croissants. Like, what do you want to do? He's like, I really want to make a pistachio and raspberry. So I said, well, okay, I have a really good recipe for the, for the, for the pistachio part of it. And then I can make you a really nice jelly for the inside. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, all right. So we made it and it was just crazy, right? People were coming. They're still asking for it. He said, what are you going to give the people? And I'm like, man, a taste. It's kind of, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot, right? So now they're asking you like, yeah, we're going to make it eventually again. So me and Matt, I've been talking about, you know, we really have to make them again just because I feel bad, you know, the people are just asking and asking, but you know, unfortunately, you know, we, we, we have like everyone else in town have had a, a lack of luck finding qualified people to work. And so, you know, it's very, it's very thin. You were talking about when you were at La Tab that it was a shallow, like, the shallow talent pool, yeah. right? And, and that, that, was, that, was, that was 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, and now it's even, after what's happened, it's, it's even worse. So, um, you know, I, I think it'll, it'll, I think it'll be better next year. What's something you look year? for in a pastry hire? Like, is there something unique about someone that works in pastry compared to someone that works maybe in savory? that like makes them a better fit for that department or a more coachable employee? You know, uh, from a personal standpoint as a chef, right? So we all hire based on different things. I, so I had someone that I just hired and she said to me, you know, I was going to apply to work here like two years ago, but um, like a year ago. And, but I, cause I have a friend who knows you and who said, you need to go work for this guy. And, but she said, I, I just didn't think I had the skills to be even be considered to work with you. And I said, she turns out to be, she's an excellent, excellent cook. And so I think I can make her really good, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said to her, listen, I don't hire people based on their, their, I don't want someone that has the same resume that I do, because then that guy should be doing what I'm doing, right? Yeah. So I want people that want to be better for them, like want to better themselves, right? I said, you have a great attitude and you really know a lot. You may not know the right twist and, and turns that I know to make it better. You can that's teach why people like technical proficiency, but you can't teach them just like oh, right. Work so you, you can't teach that, right? So I, I look for people that have that drive, that want to learn. They're hungry. They're asking questions all the time. They're very inquisitive, right? Because that just shows you that they're trying to learn as much as they can from you. So that gives you motivation to teach them too. I was a great cook before I worked at Ducas. I was a great pastry chef, right? I was already sort of known in the city. I worked at 17. I had my press and I was very good. 
I, and then I worked there, I, and then I went there, and I, and I and sort of had a that wake incremental up call, growth, that wake yeah. up call of like, well, I'm really not as good as I thought I was because these kids are amazing, right? So then, to me, the way you see it is like you either see that as a negative, or you see that as a positive, and I'm like, you know what, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna become just way better, right? I turn into a sponge. I just asking questions about every single thing, you know, like I'm already a very methodical, technical person. And so I'm like asking, well, why are you doing this exact? I already know why you're doing it, but you give me your version of why you're doing it. And they would give me another version, a better version of what I knew. Yeah. And some things that I thought I knew that I didn't, that were just not correct, right? Like mm-hmm. puff pastry was a great example of, I knew how to make puff pastry, right? But turns out I didn't because there were some things that I was, I never could understood why they were happening that. Like on a chemical level or? On, on, a, on sort of a, on the technical level of yeah. why you do certain things, right? Then you would make a puff pastry, you fold it, you, you, you sheet it and you cut it and you make a Napoleon, right? On a, in a nutshell, that's what happens. Well, it turns out it takes three days. So when I tell people it takes three days to make a, a puff pastry, they're like, you, I think you're crazy. It, it, it does. It does take that long if you want to do it right because that's how we did it. Mm. And so the 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 the, chemi- the 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 technical explanation for that is very clear to us as pastry chefs. To to other people may not, but yeah. when they explain it to you, they're like that com- makes complete sense. Yeah. Why he was doing what I what what he was doing to me because yeah. I didn't know that part of the equation that now I know then now I can give to these other younger kids, right? And I tell them, I'm saving you 20 years of pain by teaching you this. Because <laughs> I'm, it's, it's, it, literally, I had to go and relearn everything that I knew, almost everything, about everything, because they do it better than you, you can. And that's why you work there, right? Because you become a better cook and a better chef uh, altogether. You got to break them uh, down and build them up. Right? So, you know, and that's what I tell these people. You already know how to do this. You just don't know that if you do this differently, this way, the way I'm saying, that this product is going to come out better. If you, instead of baking it this way, you bake it this way, it'll make it better. Why? Because this is the reason. Right? Yeah. You know, when you make eclairs, right? You, you make the, the, the shoe, and then you pipe it, and then you bake the eclairs. But shoe means cabbage in French, right? Why? Because they call it patchou because... When you bake it, it just explodes and looks like a like a head of 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 of, of, of cabbage, and mm-hmm. it's exactly what that looks like. But so what we have learned, of many people that have come before me have learned or figured out that if you let the dough sit for one day, the eggs are not fresh, hence they don't explode in the oven. Mm-hmm. So they're more relaxed. So when they, you bake them, they bake more even. Mm. So you get a, a better shape out of it, more more air, and better you know better puff and then hollow center. So those are real things that you learn at these places where they explain to you all these different things. About you kind of can think about the 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 technique more instinctually or more intuitively. You're able to like know why you do it a certain right. way rather than just following a recipe. Right, and and so and that's what we are like we're. That's why I love pastry because it's a very science-driven skill, like a career. It's like you have to study the reaction of, of acids to this or why you don't add, why, why baking soda is different than baking powder, right? Like what does it do exactly? And, and why can you add baking soda to some recipes and you can't? Uh, so, you know, all those things that you learn, right? Yeah. Um, so that I know now that I can teach people to say, you know, you add baking powder because of this and you add baking soda because of this. It's information that's out there, right? You just got to sort of research it too. I've done a lot of reading. Don't get me wrong. I've done a lot of reading. I still do a lot of reading in pastry and food because everything changes. But the fundamentals never change. But, you know, yeast is still going to behave the same. Baking powder is still going to behave the same. Those chemicals are always going to be the same, right? They're very consistent. It's just how we manipulate that changes what we do. I find that that's what I look for when I hire is people that want that sort of extra step, right? And it's not easy. I tell people, you know, I don't base, I don't, I don't, you can have a great resume and, and I can see you working for five minutes. I know you're not very good at what you do. And so you're full of shit. And so, and, and then you have an attitude because you think you're better than everybody else, which is not, you know, it's like one of the things that I learned from working at all these famous restaurants and chefs were, was that you don't know anything. So you should even you should be more humble than 
you should be more humble now than you were. Because you know there's, I always tell people, there are 25-year-old kids out there that can run circles around me. I know, I've seen it. I've been there, right? So yeah. I can tell you that you, there's no way for you, there's no reason for you to fucking like think you're better than everybody. Because you're not. You really are not. Because there's always someone better than you, right? So, and, but you're, you know, for me, it was always a, sort of a selfish thing. Like, I'm just learning because I want to learn. Yeah. Because I want to be better, right? I don't care what you're doing. You can be doing something else and like, good for you. But I'm doing this, right? So, you know, and mm-hmm. so I'm not a very competitive person in that regard. Like, I don't worry about what the guys next door are doing. I don't, you're doing what you're doing, man. I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you do you, I do myself. And we're all good, right? There's enough for everybody here. Yeah. But, well, for a guy that's not competitive, you've definitely established yourself and your business as, I think, one of the top, if not the top place for delicious pastries in the city. So congrats to you. Well, thank that. you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. I really, you know, my wife has, has uh, spent a long time teaching me to, you should just accept the compliment to say thank you. I was telling someone yesterday, they came to see us after I hadn't seen them in years, and they were like, man, we're so happy for you. And, you know, just don't grow too fast. Don't. I said, listen, that's one thing I don't want to do is that. Because I've spent so, it's been so hard to learn this, right? You've yeah. sacrificed so much to work at these places. You've sacrificed families and birthdays and weddings and, and all kinds of stuff and holidays with friends and family. And, and so for you to like start making shitty bread, it doesn't make any sense, right? So yeah. I said, we're going to hold on to what we have. We're going to try to grow it in a very responsible way. Mm-hmm. And so we, we maintain our integrity as chefs because that's all we have, right? People have expectations of myself and of Matt because of where we come from or where have we have been. But we want to, we, that is very important to us to, to live up to that, to, to make sure that we give them a great baguette and a great croissant. It's, it's a simple thing, but it's not, you know, it's, but we're very fortunate. Honestly, I could not tell you, it sounds very cliche to say this, but we've grown this thing organically and, you know, we don't have a PR company. We have nothing. We just literally make bread and pastries and we sell it. I know you don't have a PR company because, like, I asked you three times if you want to do this podcast. And you're like, yeah, man, I'm really busy this week. I'll get back to you. Yeah. You know, I, I think that I believe in gravity. I always tell, yeah. you know, I was I was telling people. Uh, you believe in gravity? That's a hot take. Uh, right. Do you believe no, the earth in, is round in, in as the, well? In, like, the sense, like, in the sense that... Uh, uh, it will, it will happen when it happens. It, yeah. Success will come, right? Yeah. Because we, you're working hard, you're doing things right, you, you're respecting what you do. It, it's meant, it's, it's going to happen. There's no, right? That's the way gravity works. It's just, yeah. it's people. you know, I always tell people, I grew up poor, and I don't really miss money, right? There's nothing to miss there. <laughs> so Even being surrounded by such obscene wealth when you were in Dubai. When, you know, that's, the, right? that's sort of the juxtaposition of my life, right? I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in the city, yeah, in the capital. And, you know, I, I, I come from a very humble family and uh, where, you know, I never ate foie gras or lobsters or, you know. Uh, it was a normal it, meal like back home just, in Salvador. I, what, what it is for almost every Latin family, which is rice, beans, and you eat potatoes and you eat, you know, vegetables and, and uh, there's not a lot of protein. You eat chicken. Uh, I live close to the coast, so we ate some fish. And then you juxtapose that by me sitting and the Eiffel Tower eating there with my wife because one of my friends from Vegas was a chef at the, in the restaurant, Alain Ducasse restaurant in the Eiffel Tower. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, but, you know, at some point in my life I had nothing to eat and now I'm like here. So, so that's why I said, you know, it really that, to me, like the, the, it's more of a challenge for me to know how far I can take this rather than it is how many millions am I going to get of this, right? It's, to me, it's like, how great am I going to get at this, that I can do this and grow in a responsible way and try to help everybody that's coming behind me, you know, and friends or people that I love. And so how am I going to do that? At the same time, get my own satisfaction out of it, right? yeah. which is, you know, I want to be good at it. I want to be good at running a business. I want to be good at growing a business because that's the next phase of my life, right? As a, as a chef, as a business owner is that I still want to be a great pastry chef. I'm never going to stop being a pastry chef, you know. Less is more, man. It's, it's one of the simplest, most wonderful dishes that I can make is a baba rum. And it's just a cake that you soak in syrup with a shot of rum. Hell yeah. But yeah, the technique good. to get you there, the technique to get you there, it's, it's quite great. You have to know these techniques to do this, right? How mm-hmm. you handle it, the way you flip it, how it's supposed to look on the plate, 
right? When do you pull the dough? How far do you take it when you soak it? What temperature is the syrup when you soak it? All those little tiny things, when you see it on a plate, you're like, oh, it's a piece of bread soaked in syrup with a side of rum. That's it. But it's not, though. It's, it's, it really is not that simple. But it's really yeah, you got to dig a little deeper. I had dinner once uh, at this restaurant, and all these waters can eat. That's like when the shake comes through. Red alert. Yeah. We got Alice so coming. It was her birthday, and she came with like 12 ladies. And we, you know, we had this like dining room for her, just for her. And like, uh, because one person that was, worked there at the hotel worked with Alice Waters for like 10 years. Oh, work. And so she's like, you know, she was friends with her. And she's like, Alice is coming to dinner here because I told her, you guys are very good. Sean, Sean said, you know, Alice Waters is coming. I said, man, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's a pretty big deal to us, you know? He's like, so I'm going to do all these dishes and what do you do for dessert? He goes, we both looked at each other. And he goes, what else, man? Baba, right? That's like the ultimate simple dessert. And sure enough, that's what we did. We just served it with a shadow rum on the side. And just a plate with a side of whipped cream and a, sh- and a shot. And she called me to the diner. She's like, she wants to see you. So I went out there. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And she goes, what is this? I said, that's a bubble rum. I said, yeah, but like, how did you learn this? Well, I work for this guy who, like, that's his thing, right? Alain Ducasse, that's his most famous, iconic dessert. It's a bubble rum. I said, why? Well, I work for Alain Ducasse. He said, you know what? I learned a couple things. He's like, I've never had this before. It's the most wonderful dessert I've ever had. So, you know, you feel like, yeah. it's small things, right? Like, to me, it's like, that's it. I'm done. Devil's in the details, like, yeah. Right? I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done here. I've done my... Uh, Put the jersey but, in the rafters. Right. Retire. It's like, yeah. yeah I'm you're thinking, out. Did you hear that? I should have gotten that on tape, yeah. right? It's all about those little satisfaction that you get out of this career, right? It's very small in the big scope of things, but you work very hard and you work a lot and trying to learn these things. And, and finally, someone recognizes that, someone of that caliber. And you're like, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's right. Did you take the compliment when Alice Waters I gave it to you, you? Or did, were you like, well, thank, thank you, ma'am. Thank, thank you, ma'am. And I just, thank you, know, you chef. I was and very, I was very you happy. You dropped the mic and you walked yeah. out. Yeah. Well, Otto, thank you so much. Thank if you. If you want to learn more about Magnol, where can they find you guys on social media, website, all that stuff? What do you want to plug? At Magnol French Bacon on Instagram and magnolfrenchbacon.com. It's our website. And there we go. We're over here on. Do you take special orders? Can people order through the we website? Do, we like do what? take, you know, we, uh, we people ask for like, do you make cakes? I'm like, we don't, but we do. We kind of like talk to people and say, hey, what do you want? What do you like? Well, I want chocolate and this. Okay, that's, I'm going to do this then. All right, cool. So then they just you make a cookie you. cake. Can you make a cookie cake? You know, I made a brownie cake last week. Oh, brownie cake. Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I don't, and I was like, I really don't know if I can do this. But you started a friend to, of mine. Yeah. And I said, it's like, come on. It's like, all right, I'll make it. I, I didn't go to the party, so I didn't know how he turned out, but he, I didn't hear back, so that's a good sign. There you go. Brown and cake. Brown and cake. Awesome. Coming soon to my, no, no, it's not coming soon. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. Thank I you, sir. Appreciate it. Sorry this took so long. No, this is great. This is good. I'll see ya. All right. Bye. And that is our episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can stream every episode of By the Glass on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, wherever you get your audio content, you can find By the Glass. Please follow By the Glass on Instagram at By the Glass Podcast. You can follow me directly at, uh, what is my Instagram? Braze Thoughts. I don't know why I totally blanked on that for a second. Probably still a little bit of jet lag. Thank you for listening. I have another episode coming next week. Getting back into the swing of things, and we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Bye.